All right, well, good morning to everyone, and welcome to the well here at SCSA. It seems like it's been forever since we've been here together on a Sunday. I hope everyone had a great Easter, a great Holy Week, and I hope everyone is excited to get back to church, okay? This is always the best Sunday for me when we get back to being as much as Holy Week is great, Easter is great. Those are all the greatest. I'm a very much structured and routine person, so I like to be, I know where I am every Sunday morning. So I'm good to see all of you guys here today. We're starting a new series today, a three-week series called Living Hospitality. And before I get into it, I know exactly what you're thinking right now. As soon as I say a three-week series on hospitality, you're thinking, really? A three-week series on hospitality? Like, you ran out of stuff to talk about? You haven't read any other good books recently? We're going to spend three weeks talking about hospitality? Like, who cares? Who cares if the fork on the left or the fork on the right? Who cares if you fold the napkin like the triangle or like the little flower thing? Who cares about the history of pigs in the blanket or whatever it may be? Like, is that what we're going to talk about here? Sit here for three weeks and talk about hospitality? Who cares? Well, believe it or not, when I saw hospitality on the schedule as well, when we set the, ca the calendar several months in advance, I actually thought the same thing. Like, hospitality, that's kind of a lightweight topic. Until I read a passage from 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at a passage from 1 Peter chapter 4, which changed my view on the importance of hospitality, and I believe will change your view as well. 1 Peter is an epistle written by Peter, the disciple, and it's all about suffering and the end times. 1 Peter is written because at the time there's a great persecution going on in the early church, and people were struggling, and people were persecuting the faith, and being killed for their faith, and being martyred for their faith, and, and people were struggling through that time of persecution. So Peter wrote a letter. It's only uh, five chapters long. It's a very simple letter. And a basic message in his letter was stay faithful till the end. Okay, you can endure the trials. God has a great reward for you. Don't give in to the, the, the persecution. Stay faithful till the end. And in the middle of that epistle, he talks about the glory of trials and about suffering is just for a short term. And he talks about how God has something great for those who suffer for his name. There's an interesting passage dealing with hospitality. And it starts right here. First Peter chapter four, verse seven through nine. It says this, but the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. So far, so good. The end of all things, meaning the end times is at hand. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. I'm with you so far. And then he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And that's our theme verse for this series. When St. Peter says the end of all things is at hand, he's not talking about the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month. He's talking about the end of the world, okay? Because you got to remember, you got to put yourself in the context of the early church, the first century guys. They were with Jesus and Jesus said, right before he ascended up to heaven, he said, I'm going to go and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and then I'm going to come back. And where I am there, you will be with me. And if you remember the passage in Acts chapter one, they were all standing there. Jesus ascends up to heaven, okay? And the scripture says they all stood there gazing, okay? Because they're, they're, they're gazing. He said he's gonna come back. An angel comes down, he's like, no, 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 no. Like, not like coming back right now, like go. It says that they were just standing there waiting. He said he's gonna come back. Jesus said he's gonna come back. So they just stood there waiting. And then the angel said, no, 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 no. He's gonna come back, but not like today or tomorrow. So go and preach the gospel, okay? Go and, but they thought, that Christ was really coming back in their lifetime, and that's the way they lived every single day. And in addition to that, what did Jesus say would happen at the end? Jesus told them at the end, there'll be a lot of persecution, 
It'll be very difficult times. And they're living that right now because they're being persecuted for their faith. So in their mind, the end of all things at hand, the world is coming to an end. Christ is coming back. You're Peter. You are like the closest guy to Jesus. The end is coming. I tell you right now, okay? I tell you, I got some insider information, okay? I got some insider information from the man upstairs. The end is coming. It's going to be like on, you know, make up whatever day you want to make up. The next week's going to be the end. What are you going to focus on? I'm telling you, the end is near. This could be my last sermon to you. What am I going to talk about? Prayer? Absolutely. Prayer got to be up there. Love? Sure, love. What would be the third topic? The Bible, maybe. Serve the poor. Repent. Pastor Appreciation Month. Like the big stuff, okay? Like the important things that you don't want to miss out on if the end truly is near. But somehow, Peter puts hospitality on that list. Like, really? Like, it's that pressing? Like, my friends are getting killed, and we're discussing, like, the latest Jello recipe? Like, that's really how this is going to work here? People are dying for the faith, and we're worried about dinner parties? Either Peter was a little off in his understanding of Christianity, or maybe I misunderstand hospitality. And the answer is B to that thing, just in case. Okay. Either Peter's a little off, or maybe what I think hospitality is isn't what it is, and maybe I need to redefine it, understand it from a scriptural point of view, and I believe I'm going to make the case that hospitality is not only a necessary part of our faith and not only essential to the building of the body of Christ, the church, but I will make the case that it is directly connected to the end and to judgment. Now you say, that's a big, but first, the first verse right here connects it for us. And we're going to see a couple of, a few other passages that also make a connection between hospitality and the end. So right there, that means we got to pay attention. First thing we need to do is we need to get a definition of hospitality. Went to dictionary.com. Dictionary.com says this. It says the quality, hospitality is the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, and generous way, or the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. Keyword there is strangers. And the word hospitality comes from the Greek word. It is the Greek word philozenia. Philozenia. I wrote it in your handouts. Philozenia. Philo means what? Love. Xenia. X-E-N-I-A. You've heard of like, I hope I pronounced it right. Xenophobia. Is that pronounced right? You know what that means? That means we don't like people who are different than you. Philozenia means love, not of neighbor, the love of the stranger. And that's what hospitality is. So right off the bat, based on that definition, okay, our first defining moment of this series is that we learn that hospitality is different than fellowship. Hospitality is not the same as fellowship, as we might be inclined to think. What's the difference between hospitality and fellowship? Both are important. Fellowship is important. It's not good for man to be alone. All that stuff, authentic community, I'm all about it. But it's not the same as hospitality. Fellowship is focused on my friends. Hospitality is focused on strangers. Fellowship is focused on what I need from others. I need accountability. I need mentorship. I need support. I need someone to pray with me and pray for me. That's fellowship is what I need from others. Hospitality is what others need from me. It's not me focused. It's others focused. Fellowship is reciprocal. At least it should be. 
Hospitality should not be reciprocal. In fact, look what Jesus said right here. This is hospitality. Luke chapter 12, verse 12. When you give a dinner or a supper, what we think of as hospitality, a dinner party, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, listen carefully, and we're gonna take this literally. When you give a feast, you invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Ask yourself a question. When was the last time that you said, I wanna open up my home, I wanna throw a dinner party, I wanna invite someone over, and you didn't think of your friends, or the people that you get along with, or your family, or your relatives, or the people that you don't know that are rich, the rich neighbors, okay? Rich meaning someone who can do something for you. When was the last time you opened up your home and said, you know what, I'm going for the poor, the maimed, the lame, or the blind? Or let me contextualize that. I'm going for the single mom, or the single dad, or the widow, or the orphans, or the divorced. I'm going for the jobless, or the friendless, or the familyless. I'm going for the guy that's just down on his luck, or the lady that just needs a break, the person that may never be able to pay me back. Again, I'm not against fellowship. Fellowship is very important. We need all that fellowship. But hospitality is not about what do I need from others, but what do others need from me? And the end result of this, you know what the next verse Jesus said about what, what Jesus is going to say after this? And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Again, he connects hospitality to the end times and the judgment day. And that's not the only time. There's one time in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, the very end of Jesus' life, he starts to give all these parables about the kingdom of heaven and the judgment day. And he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and he tells the story of 10 virgins. Kingdom of heaven will be like a man who had a wedding feast. Kingdom of heaven will be like, and he kept telling all these stories, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. And in the middle of there, he told a story about the kingdom of heaven will be like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats. And he says, at the very, very, very end, the shepherd is gonna stand in front of all, all the sheep and the goats. And he's gonna say, okay, you guys, you sheep, you're gonna go over here on the right, and you goats, you're gonna go over here. And what is going to be the criteria? Jesus, what's the criteria of how you selected a sheep or a goat? What's gonna be the distinguishing factor? He says this, Matthew 25, verse 35. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Very clear. The end times, the judgment will have something to do with our willingness to be hospitable to those who are in need. They say, okay, well, that's like bonus if you can do it. No, 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 because then he continues and says, the goats, these are the ones he says, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a bad intro to a verse. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
I didn't realize hospitality was such a big deal, but it's a big deal. I didn't realize that hospitality, like, you know, you, you, you see someone in need, you do what you can, but you know, we're all busy, we're all, no, 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 no. Like the implication of Jesus's verse is that you people always invited your friends. You always invited the popular people because you wanted to be popular. You invited the influential people because you wanted a favor from them. You wanted something, so that's why you were hospitable, but that's not the real hospitality. The real hospitality, the one that will separate the sheep from the goats is the one that's paid to the person who cannot pay you back. This is the start from start of the Bible to the end. Start of the Bible to the end. You cannot escape this principle. Start of the Bible to the end. The strong are made strong for the sake of the weak. The rich for the sake of the poor. The healthy for the sake of the sick. Start of the scripture till the very end. From book of Genesis through book of Revelation. You cannot escape that fact that if God has made us strong in any aspect, it is so that we can bless those who are not as strong. That's why one of the things that we pray every time we celebrate the divine liturgy, we pray in our prayers. We pray for the widow, the orphan, the traveler, and the stranger. The widow, the orphan, the traveler, and the stranger. And there will be no service that takes place in an Orthodox church where we do not remember the sick, the departed, the widows, the orphans, the traveler, and the strangers, because that is a major part of who we are as Christians and part of our judgment. St. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, fourth century said, the one who cannot see Christ in his poor brother or sister, the one who cannot see Christ in his poor brother and sister will never see Christ on the altar. Will never be able to see Christ on the altar. The one who cannot see Christ in his poor or needy or sick or stranger brother and sister, he cannot see Christ in him. He can come to church all day and all night. He will never see Christ on the altar. That's serious stuff. And it's not just in our homes. It's in the house of God as well. The church has to be a place of hospitality just as much as our own homes. True story. One man wanted to test the friendliness and hospitality of various churches. So he did a study. He went and visited 18 different churches on successive Sundays. And he came up with a point system where he could judge or evaluate the friendliness of those churches. Okay, I'm going to read to you what he wrote right here. He said... I sat near the front. After the service, I would walk slowly to the rear, then return back to the front and back down the other aisle. So he would come to church, let's say sit right here in this seat like this, okay? So he wasn't hiding in the back. He would come sit in the front. After the service, he would walk slowly down this aisle, okay, to the back, and then he would make his way back to the front and then walk down another aisle, okay? In case like the friendly people sit on the left and the rude people sit, so he wanted to get both sides, all right? He also says, I smiled. I always dress neatly, and I would always make a point to ask one person for directions to a specific place. So, you know, can you tell me where the fellowship hall is, or where's the bathroom, or where's the whatever it may be? So you know, he always made a point to stop and ask one person a direct question. Here is his point system. A smile from a worshiper, 10 points. A greeting from one nearby, 10 points. An exchange of names, 100 points. 100 points. Someone say, my name is this. What's your name? Invitation to coffee, 200. Invitation to come back, 200. Introduction to another member, 1,000. Invitation to meet the pastor, 2,000. Now, you would think to yourself, just ask yourself, what do you think an average church would get? What do you think our church would get? I'm saying 2,000 points to meet the pastor. 1,000 me if you meet someone. Two, what do you think? He went to 18 churches on successive Sundays. Do you want to hear his results? 
11 out of 18, 11 out of 18, so way more than half, got less than 100 points. Less than 100 points? All you had to do was say, hey, my name is, and there's 100 points right off the bat. 11 out of 18 got less than 100 points, and five got less than 20. Five got less than 20. That's horrible. And it's what, what, something if it's like, okay, it's a one-off. You picked a bad church. Okay, don't go back there. Or two, or three. But come on, man. 11 out of 18? 11 out of 18? No one could say, hey, my name is? No one could say, hey, you should come back next week? No one could say, hey, why do you think that is? Think. Do you think that when that man left that church, it was dead silence in that church? Do you think the service ended and it was you think that's what happened? Because I've never been to a church like that. I've been to a church that when the, when the pastor's preaching, that's when it's very silent, okay, and very prayerful. But as soon as he finishes, you can't hear yourself think. So the implication, how I am reading it, is not that people weren't friendly. These churches may have had great fellowship, but they didn't have good hospitality. They all talked to their friends. They all looked for the same people. That's not right in the house of God. Whether you're in your home, whether you're in God's home, whether you're in the street at the Starbucks, whether you are on the metro, you are an ambassador of Christ, and it is our duty, my duty and yours, to be hospitable to every single person as Christ would be. Look what Mother Teresa says right here. Mother Teresa, speaking about life here in America and in the West versus life in India where she lived, said the greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis, TB, or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. Do you agree with that statement? We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. Fellowship is important. Hospitality is also important. When was the last time you went out of your way to see a need in another person, not the physical need, okay? I'm not saying that's not important. That is important. To feed a homeless person in the street is super important, but hospitality is way bigger than that. Hospitality is right here. Who can see the needs right here? The rejected, the unloved, the lonely, the feeling outcast, the feeling like I'm, 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 I'm gonna drown. Life is too much that I can't take. Who's the one who has the eyes of Christ that can see those needs? Because according to Mother Teresa, and I agree wholeheartedly, that's a greater need to me. Than the physical need. Hospitality is not the same as fellowship. Number two, fact about hospitality. Hospitality isn't just opening up our homes, it's also opening up our hearts. This is not a invite everyone to your house this weekend. Hospitality is way bigger than that. And oftentimes, sometimes, we invite people to our homes without inviting, without opening up our hearts to them you an embarrassing story that I shudder even to say this story. It's about me. There once was a house guest that we had who I love. It's no one in this room, okay? So everyone who stayed at my house is not you. I promise you it's not you, okay? Who I love. And if I tell you how hospitable this person is to me, how much they have done for me, it's embarrassing the story I'm about to say next. They have done so much to go out of their way whenever I have needed a place to stay 
so hospitable. And even when they come, they bring gifts, like so hospitable, so kind, so generous. And this person goes way, 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 way back. And they've always been that way. I've always been receiving more from this person than giving. Then the person gets married. And then they have kids. They have another kid. They have another kid. It seems like they have four or five of them. I don't know how many actually they have. Okay, they just keep coming out. And they stayed with us for some time. I don't mind a lot of stuff. <laughs> There's certain things in the house that are, there's no easy way to say it. There's certain snacks that cost more than other snacks. There's no easy way to say this. Like I said, my wife is going to like go under the chair right now. Okay? She knows what I'm about to say. Okay. Look, if you are in, like we had these protein bars, okay? These are so valuable. They're like $2 a piece, okay? So when my wife buys them, okay, we buy them and we ration them out, okay? We do not eat protein bar seven days a week. That is unwise stewardship, okay, of what God has given to us, okay? We ration these things. like two. I take note of these things. And the kid found them, okay? The kid found them. The kid's eating them and the crumbs are flying and they take one and throw it there. And I'm like, Dah. and the kid would say more and more and more. And I'm like, those are $2 a piece. Like, those are the protein bars. And another kid found the Gatorades. We don't drink Gatorades. Like, that's like Christmas and Easter we drink Gatorade. Like, we are a water household where I come from. Gatorade is special occasions, okay? And the kid is drinking Gatorade like, 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 it's, like, it's, like it's coming from the tap. Like, the kid just enjoying the Gatorade, and he spilt. That kid spilled. And I'm like, that's Gatorade. So I did something very embarrassing. Sorry, sorry. Everyone went to bed at night. I snuck downstairs and hid the stuff in my car. I know, it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing, okay? And then the next day, I didn't lie, because I'm a priest, but I, I didn't lie. But when the question came up of, where'd the protein bars go? <laughs> didn't lie. My home was open, but my heart was not open. St. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. You agree with me on this statement. The, the, the first verse that we saw, be hospitable without grumbling. Agree with me on this one. Grumbling hospitality is worse than no hospitality. Don't invite me like we've all had the pity invite. We've all been there, been invited to something because we found out about it and people are like, oh yeah, you should, like we've all been the pity invite guy. Rather no invite than a pity invite. Rather not invite me to your house than invite me and keep an inventory of what I ate, okay? Better just not to invite. Grumbling hospitality is the worst. It's worse, that it's better off to do no hospitality at all. What we need, if we're gonna do hospitality right, like St. Paul, we need to open more than our homes, we need to open our hearts. We need to provide more than just physical needs. We need to provide spiritual and emotional and relational needs. We need to, there's an expression that I came up with several years back. We need to take off our socks. When I say take off our socks, okay, some people may remember this way back in the day. I was saying this expression, take off your socks, to me, means let down your guard. It means be authentic, be vulnerable, show your weaknesses, show your flaws. The reason I came up with that expression is because, again, me in my house, Okay, I may walk around barefoot, okay, in the house, but I'm not a feet guy. Like, I'm not a, like, I don't wear sandals or flip-flops. Like, I think it's gross. Like, I don't like open, like, yeah. At most, at most, at the beach, I'll wear Crocs. 
Okay, but even then, if it's not to the beach, I wear the Crocs with the socks, okay? Like I do with, and I pull the socks really high up, like, you know what I mean? And tuck the shirt, like everything like that, okay? I'm not a feet kind of a guy. I may be hanging out barefoot at home with the wife and the kids. Someone comes, I put on socks. I just feel like that's the bare minimum that you should do when somebody come over or look at your feet, okay? But to me, take off your socks means like a level of intimacy that isn't easy for me. It means like, you know what? I'll show you my feet. <laughs> I, 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 I'll show you like my true self. I won't hide. I won't put my guard up. I won't, I won't make you come into my house and pretend like everything is perfect right here and I got it all together. Think about it. When I stand up here on Sunday, which is more encouraging to you? When I stand up here and say, my life is perfect, ha, 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 yours isn't. Or when I come up here and say, look, I got problems just like everyone else got problems. You want to come to my house and you all love me. I'm not saying this in a bad way. You love me, but you want to come and see that I'm a normal person. You love it to hear when I say I fight with my wife. You're like, yeah, me too. Like, that's good. One of us. You love that. Because we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. And if we're going to be this hospitality, if we're going to do this hospitality thing right, we need to learn how to put the guards down and just be ourselves and let people see the flaws and the weaknesses and not pretend that we're perfect. That applies to our person. That applies to our homes. How many people have ever said the following sentence in their head or out loud? Can't invite so-and-so over. The house is a mess. I can't tell you how many times someone says they move into a new house. They say, okay, I want to come pray in it. Not ready. Not ready for prayer? Like, what's not ready for prayer? And we have boxes and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming to like videotape the house. I'm not coming to put it on, the, on, on, the, on the, the, the internet or something like that. I'm coming to pray in the house. We think it's the same concept, that because the house isn't ready, we're not capable of hospitality. And I want to say nonsense. Who cares if our houses are not picture perfect? Or let me say that better. Who cares if our houses are not Pinterest perfect? I was reading this story online about a, about a, a lady who loved to, to host people at her house, loved to invite people. Then she had kids. And once she had kids, hosting people became a big ordeal because she had to clean the house and clean the house and keep the house clean. So she basically stopped entertaining people for the longest time because she, felt the ne she never felt the house was ready. And then someone, a wise person, came and spoke to her and basically told her, do you think people are coming for you or for the house? Do you think people are coming to see your house and how perfect it is or coming to see you? And this person, this friend, encouraged the person to lighten up a little bit. And this is what she did. The first time, she said, okay, I'm going to invite people over and I'm not going to dust. I'm not going to dust the house. She didn't dust the house. Nobody said anything. The next time she said, okay, you know what? I'm not going to dust. I'm not going to move the boxes in the dining room. Left the boxes in the dining room. No one said like, oh, the food is horrible because of the boxes. The next time she decided instead of three different entrees, okay, because we got to do the hospitality, you got to have three different, like in case they don't like chicken, you got to have steak. In case they don't like steak, you got to have fish. You got to have all there. But she said, you know what? I'm going to cook one entree. No one stormed out and said, how dare you? And what she realized is that the only person who cared about her house being perfect was her. Nobody else cared. And this freed her up to be able to invest in people versus in her home. 
And she wrote the following. She coined this term scruffy hospitality. Okay, so she talks about scruffy hospitality. She says this. Scruffy hospitality means that you're not waiting for everything in your house to be in order before you host and serve friends in your home. Scruffy hospitality means you hunger more for good conversation and serving a simple meal of what you have, not what you don't have. Scruffy hospitality means you're more interested in quality conversation than the impression of your home or, or your lawn makes. If we only share meals with friends when we're excellent, we aren't truly sharing life together. <clears throat> I'm not against clean homes. I am pro clean homes. So if you're sitting there thinking like, no, a lot of great things can happen in clean homes and we should strive to keep things clean. But my point is, if that's not who you are, you don't need to go out of your way to make your home clean. I'm not trying to judge those who do clean their homes because cleanliness is next to godliness where I'm from, okay? But the point is, is that if that's not your, you don't need to because there's something about, you agree with this, something about walking to a house that looks like nobody lives in it that makes you want to walk right out. We like to walk in a house and we'd like to see, you know what? Hey, their sink has dishes in it too. You know why? Because that's where the dishes go in the sink. That you know what? That, that they have some boxes in the corner because they don't have a huge 15 or three car garage. Like what are they? they have some boxes in there like two. And they, you know what? Their husband leaves his dirty socks underneath the couch as well. So it's not just my slob of a husband who does it. Like all oh, that slob does it as well. There's something nice about seeing that they're people just like the rest of us. Now with that said, I got 10 minutes left. I want to go practical on the next 10 minutes because I want to make sure that no one leaves here feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm a horrible person because I haven't invited anyone over in, in, in weeks. No, let's talk practically how we can take these principles and apply them practically in our lives. Because I'm not saying that you have to invite someone over every single week or every single Sunday. Like we all have busy, like we all have a hard enough time spending quality time with our family. Okay, so I'm not saying we need to go extreme to the other side, and that's the only thing that matters in this world, because then we're going to go off the deep end on the other end. So practically, three thoughts, practically, how you can take this idea of hospitality and make it practical in your life. And I'm going to go through these pretty quick. Number one, the first thing I'd say is make a plan. Make a plan. Come up with a plan, because just as when you are on this planet Earth, there's this thing called gravity that is always going to hold you back. You may jump, it's always gonna pull you back. You may jump really high, it's always, gonna, it's always gonna pull you back down. Well, in the DC metropolitan area, there's a gravitational pull towards busyness and no time on the schedule. That is the gravitational pull. So if you say, when I'm free, I'm gonna take hospitality seriously, you're never gonna be free. There'll always be more stuff that comes up. So you need to be very intentional and say, okay, Father Anthony, hospitality, Bible, and time, sheep, goats, this is important. And you need to pray, okay, if you're married, pray with your spouse, okay, if you're single, pray with your roommates, or if, like, if that's like a situation, if just you, just you. You need to pray and come up with, what does God want from me as far as hospitality? A couple of years back, two years ago, me and Marianne made, like God was putting this so much on our heart that he wanted us to do something in this way. So we said that during this year, not last year, the year before, we are going to invite eight couples over to our house. Eight couples but we had a specific criteria for those eight. None could be church people because we know the church, we see the church people all the time. We wanted to invest in people outside of our little circle. So one of them, for example, God put on our heart, one of our children, his friend's parents. Okay, so like the kid, like Michael's friend, invite his parents over. Okay, we felt God wanted us to do that. There was a local pastor, okay, in the area where we felt God wanted us to invest in that person. 
okay? Our, our neighbors, okay, a little bit on the elderly side, we felt God wanted us to invest in those people as well. So we made a plan, and I'm telling you, every single one of those finished, and we said, thank you, God, because God truly blessed us in some way from every one of those visits. I look, think to this verse of Hebrews chapter 13, verse one and two. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And this is referring to, by the way, Abraham, when Abraham was hospitable to the three strangers, turned out to be uh, the Lord plus two angels, which is not pretty bad, not bad at all. We did those eight visits. I'm telling you, me and my wife are both high introverts. There will never be a Friday night where we'll be like, hey, you know what would be fun? Let's invite people. They will never, that will never come. That will never come. There will never be a time where we want to do anything other than lock the doors, close the curtains, okay, close the blinds, and just hunker down till the end comes. Because that's who we are. But you know what? God put this on our heart, and we were intentional about it. So we said, you know what? It's not our nature to invite strangers especially. But you know what? We're going to do it. And we made a plan. We invite these eight. And honestly, just like this verse says, God sent angels to us that really blessed us and blessed our home. I challenge you to do the same thing. Pray about it. See how God is leading you. Youngsters, maybe you live in an apartment building. Maybe there's some elderly folks, a couple apartments down, a couple doors down. Pray about it. Maybe God wants you to invite them. Maybe they're lonely. And maybe you could make their day, make their week, make their life. You never know. Flip the other way. Elderly. Maybe there's some young whippersnappers in your neighborhood, okay? And instead of telling them to get off your lawn all the time, maybe say, you know what? Actually, me and Marianne did that one time in our old home. Okay, we, there was a group of college kids who lived on the house on the end. So we said, you know what? Let's invite these college kids. And you would think to yourself, these college guys, they enjoyed the college, like you knew they were college kids, okay? You would think college kids would never want to come to an old fuddy-duddy priest and his wife. I'm telling you, we had to stop serving food to get them to leave our house. They did not want to leave. And if there was more food, they may still be there right now. Like that, you never know. So pray about it and, and see. Maybe there's someone on, in, your, in your office, okay, that, that you know what, God is putting on your heart, invite them out to dinner. Like you never know what it may be. Maybe join, like, the, like Mark said earlier, but join the STSA neighborhood that's local to you. Maybe there's someone in this church family right now that God wants you to connect with, but you'll never know, okay? Join the neighborhood, open yourself up. Maybe you never know. Make a plan. That's number one. Number two, as I said earlier, keep it simple. Keep it simple. The goal here is not to make uh, 10 course meals or to trouble ourselves with, with all kinds of, 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 of preparation. The goal here is to focus on the quality of the conversation, not on the house inspection or the food inspection. None of us here is going on the chop show or anything like that. Like we're just trying to have a nice, simple time together. Nothing makes me happier. Nothing makes me happier. Everyone should listen. If you ever invite me over to your house, nothing makes me happier than when I see pizza, ice cream, paper plates. Nothing makes me happy. Like pizza and ice cream, that's like after Easter, that's what I want. After fasting 55 days, I want Costco pizza, cheese, I don't need the meat, just give me the cheese, and I need chocolate ice cream. The chocolater, the better. That's what I need simple. And I get paper plates, that's the best. One of, the, one of my favorite things that we do, and again, we're not the most house people. One of the things that we've done a couple times in our home, we've invited all the young adults to come over to our house. Okay, one time we had more than 50 young adults in our house. 50. I counted them, more than 50. Okay, 
What did we do? We didn't serve any fancy food. We sent an email saying, number one, go to the bathroom before you come, okay? Because I don't know how much sewage capacity we have. Go to the bathroom before you come, eat a meal before you come. We're gonna have bottles of water, not these size, these size <laughs> bottles of water, okay, the little ones. And we're gonna have granola bars. And we're gonna dump them in the middle of the floor. Everyone help yourself. We sat on the floor, but there was like, you know, 10 people on the couch. Like, we had the best time in the whole wide world. The food was nothing. Okay, again, you couldn't use the bathroom. It was not allowed, okay? But we had a great, great, great time. Conversation, investing in one another. And I actually know someone, uh, I don't know him personally, but I'm saying a, a, a rich person, okay? A famous person who is intentional about this. And he insists when they invite guests over, they only use paper plates. Because his whole point is, I want to spend time with the people, not in the kitchen, in the sink, okay? I would love that to be something that we adopt. Why? Because there's a story in the Bible about one time where Jesus was invited to a dinner party and there was two people in that house. One was focused on the stuff. One was focused on the conversation. Y'all know the story. It's the story of Mary and Martha. And Jesus said what to Martha? He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. You're worried about how, the, how many entrees. You're worried about is the thing dusted. You're worried about how the house looks. Martha, Martha. One thing is needed. And this is an important point too. Hospitality is not the same as entertaining. Hospitality has nothing to do with entertaining. Entertaining is look at my house, look at my food, and let me... No, no, that's not hospitality. Hospitality is conversation, is depth, is quality. Hospitality says it's okay to be messy because life is messy. Focus on the other, not on myself. Last but not least, we said make a plan, keep it simple. Last but not least, like I already talked about, take off your socks. Take off your socks. Don't just serve food. Don't just open your home. Open your heart. Open your life and be ready to invest inside another person. Hospitality, as I said, is not entertaining. It takes more than serving a fruitcake to a stranger to be hospitable. It takes opening yourself, and more importantly, not just giving of yourself, but truly giving Christ. Just as Christ came into this world, he didn't give us fancy meals. The only meal he gave to us was bread and wine, which is a very common meal. He didn't give us elaborate stuff, but he opened his heart to us. And he said, you are strangers to God. I will make you sons. You are far away. I'll bring you near. You are sick, I will heal you. He didn't give us a house. He didn't give us a car. He didn't give us fancy clothes. He didn't do anything to knock our socks off. Knock our socks off. He didn't do anything to wow us with the physical stuff. But he opened his heart to us, and that's what our call is to be with others. Let me give you one last quote here from that same church father, St. John Chrysostom. He says, listen how nice this is. He says, every family should have a room where Christ is welcome in the person of the hungry, and thirsty stranger. The poor are a, great, are a greater temple than the sanctuary. The poor are an altar that you can raise up anywhere on any street and offer the liturgy at any hour. And again, poor in his time meant no food. Poor in our time means no friends. Poor in his time meant nothing to drink. Poor in our time means thirsty for love or attention or acceptance. The poor that he speaks about are an altar that everywhere we go, we can offer up a sacrifice to God 
in the form of hospitality. You change your mind about the importance of hospitality? Still a lightweight subject? Still a like, eh, I'll get to it when I get to it? I think what God wants us to do during these holy 50 days of resurrection, of joy and celebration, is to celebrate, not just with our friends, not just with our family, and our relatives and our loved ones and our rich neighbors. God wants us to open our hearts and our homes and our lives to those who truly are in need. And I believe that if you do it right, if you do it right, you just might find God in the midst of that hospitable moment. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the love and acceptance and hospitality that you've shown to us, we who are so undeserving of it. You, Lord, have welcomed us into your home. You've opened up your side for us to come in and dwell with you. I pray, Lord, that you would put that same spirit of hospitality without grumbling inside each and every single one of us, that we can make a difference in this world and maybe just touch one person or one family with the love that you have shown to us and maybe that one touch can make an eternal difference in someone's life. Pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.